I would ask that you take your Bibles and let's turn to Mark once more. We're going to pick up actually the next verse where we dropped off last week. Mark chapter 10, second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, uh, many scholars think it was the very first of the Gospels to be written. And there's a lot of reasons for that. It's the smallest of the Gospels. And as I mentioned last week, it's John Mark most probably who wrote it down and it's the thoughts of Peter and his experience as uh, one of the apostles who was there. Eyewitness accounts of what happened. Mark ten forty six, and we'll start there in just a second. We want to explore together today, uh, how does God work in a person's life? How does God work in a person's life? Now, by asking the question, you, you kind of imply the assumption that there is a specific way that God works in people's lives. At least there's a common experience that's true for most of us. But is that true? Is it true that we have a common or similar experience of God's relationship with us? Does God have the same relationship with you, for example, that he has with me? Is there a common experience that describes it? Or does, in fact, like all of our other relationships, is our relationship unique? And he has a unique relationship with each of us. Well, perhaps one of the ways to explore that question is to look at just one area of his ministry. The moments when he takes a person who is blind, as we're going to see today in Blind Bartimaeus, when he takes a person who is blind and he gives them sight. Now, we're not going to be able to look at all of them, but I'm just going to give you a contrast of three different ways uh, that Jesus healed a person who was blind. Think of the man from Bethsaida. Uh, to heal him, uh, Jesus spit on the man's eyes and then put his hands on him, but his sight was only partially restored. He wasn't really ready to see, and so he needed to touch his hands a second time. For some reason, he wasn't willing to see. In a similar way, we have the man who was born blind, as he's titled. But this time, Jesus doesn't spit in his eyes. He spits in the dirt and he makes mud. He puts that saliva mud then on his eyes. And then he tells him to go to the pool of Siloam, which means to be sent somewhere to do something, to respond and he washes the mud out that is now impeding his vision. Now, if we stopped at just those uh, two examples of how God relates to us as people, we could mistakenly say it was Jesus' spit that was the formula. And we could think that if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to spit on people on purpose. And then we need to touch them and pray that they might have sight or they might have insight. But, of course, God isn't giving us a formula. There are many ways that God heals down throughout the Gospels, and these are the only two that have anything to do with saliva. The others are done in public and then in private, close by, far away, touching and not touching, sending them to the temple, not even mentioning the temple, and on and on. But let's go to this third example we're going to explore together today. Uh, the one in our text, the healing of Bartimaeus. With Bartimaeus, Jesus not only doesn't spit, but he doesn't touch him. 
As we read this, we want to recognize that throughout Scripture, blindness is seen most often as an allegory for being spiritually blind, unable to see what is true. But in this instance, and why Bartimaeus is such an important part of the Gospel account, is that here's a person who cannot physically see, but he can clearly see who Jesus is while the rest of the people are blind. Here, the son of Timaeus, Bar Timaeus, uses a special title for Jesus. And scholars think it might be the first time it was ever used to describe Jesus. It's certainly the only time that it is used in the Gospel of Mark. He calls him the son of David, which means he sees him as the Messiah of the house and lineage of David the promised one, the anointed one. So continue where we left off last week. Let's go to this account of Bartimaeus and what he sees. Mark writes, Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet. And he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now keep that open before you. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you have the power to give us sight and insight. That you allow us to experience truth. And we would ask that you would give us, each one today, that ability. Be with each of us in whatever blind ways we traverse this earth. And allow us to be able to help one another and call and bring one another and cheer one another up. Help us to bring those who do not yet, but are seeking you to the place of sight. And of course, we'll give you the praise for this is all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you'll recognize from last Sunday that Jesus asked Bartimaeus the very same question that he asked in just a few verses earlier of James and John when they come to Jesus and they want to get that political power in his kingdom. He says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Now think about that. Think of the ingredients of that question. What do you want me to do for you? Now depending on how you think of God and how you think of your relationship with God 
You can hear that question in several different ways. Perhaps the most common is for us to hear it putting the emphasis on us, as though what we want is what God wants, and what he will do is what we want him to do. If so, then we read the question like this, what do you want me to do for you? There's a wonderful children's book. It took Juanita lots of work to get this. They're out of print for about 30 years. And I first saw it back when I was in seminary. It's called The Purple Puzzle Tree. And it's about 30 of these books and songs that go with it. And it's uh, all in poetry. And this one is called God is Not a Jack in the Box. And I want to read for you just a little bit of it. The account is talking about how uh, the people of Israel want to use God to gain victory over the Philistines. And so they think they can force God to be on their side if they simply take the ark out of the temple, the tabernacle, and take it into the battlefield. And there they'll be victorious. And of course, this is the way the old cross-eyed Eli says. Then old cross-eyed Eli, the great high priest of God, told the men how wrong it was to take God's ark to war. Our God is not a jack-in-the-box who jumps when you wind him up. The ark is not an Aladdin's lamp or a silly rabbit's foot. But the foolish men of Israel took the ark from that high place and made up a funny song from the words of cross-eyed Eli. Our God is not a jack-in-the-box who pops and stops and stops and pops. You cannot wind him like a clock until he stops and pops and stops. Our God is not Aladdin's lamp that gives you every wish you wish. You cannot swish him with a cloth and to wish to swish a wish and wish a swish. Our God is not locked up in his box and blind to all your silly sin. You cannot take him out to war and win and sin and sin and win. Now that has stuck with me for all these years. That God is not a jack-in-the-box. For some of us, we tend to think that that's the way God works in our lives. If we simply turn the religious crank and do everything that we're supposed to do, then God will do what we want him to. And he will jump when we want him to jump, and he'll stop when we want him to stop, and he'll give us our very wants. Now, it's easy to think of God in that kind of way. But is it true? Does God follow us and our wants? Is God a jack-in-the-box? Is he an ace in the pocket? Is he an asset in our portfolio? Is God following us and our wants? Or are we following God and what he wants? That's the insight that Bartimaeus brings to the discussion. This blind man, who is told to be quiet by everyone, and we'll talk about that for just a mo in just a moment, this blind man won't be quiet. He has something he wants to say, and he wants to declare, first of all, who Jesus is to a world that does not understand who this is that has come into their town. He wants to see, and he wants them to see. But the truth is, of course, that he may be physically blind, but this ability to have insight, to see something that the entire world needs to see, that Jesus is the Messiah, is the most important sight of all 
that he's the son of David. And this faith will not only open his biological eyes, but will give him a place in all of history as the one who first declared, this is the Messiah, the anointed one, of the house and lineage of David, the son of David. Follow him. And he gets up and follows him. It's that key that we want to explore together today. That it is God that we follow and not God following us. That in fact it's not about us, it's about him. We sang the song together today. Doug didn't know what I was going to preach on, of course. But he had us sing that beautiful song. It's not about us. It's all about him. Now there are several helpful hints that we'll see in this text. And so let's look first when we notice that Mark wants to make it clear that Bartimaeus is the son of Timaeus. In fact, he says it twice because everybody in that culture would know that Bar, which means son, Timaeus means son of Timaeus. But he makes it obvious. And perhaps he's doing that to just give emphasis to the word Timaeus. Timaeus means to honor. And so son of honor is honoring the son of David. Or more likely, Timaeus is known to the Christian community. And so Mark is saying, this is the son of Timaeus, whom you all know. He goes to church with you. And this is the one whose son was blind and now can see. Mark is simply saying the obvious, as we do, so that he's emphasizing something that needs to be emphasized, that children follow fathers and mothers, and faith builds over generations. Our relationship with God includes that of our parents, our family, our church family, our Bible study groups. We are not alone in this, and we are, in fact, empowered by those who mentor and teach and guide us in life. And although we don't choose our parents, we certainly do choose our church family. We choose our Bible study groups. We choose those close friends with whom we discuss Christian life. We can build the next generation of people in faith. And so we have Bartimaeus, who's able to declare because he's a son of Timaeus, whom they know. The second thing we learn about our relationship with God is that we should not be quiet about it. Now, I don't know why they wanted Bartimaeus to be quiet. Uh, perhaps they were embarrassed that they weren't providing for him. Here's a blind man that has to beg in order to survive, and Jesus sees that the town has done that to this person. and just They just want him to kind of, in his, his handicap and in his need, just kind of be quiet, just get away and, and become invisible. Certainly don't make a fuss with Jesus. Or perhaps they, they don't want him to call him son of David, to not claim that he's the Messiah. When anybody claims that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that causes everyone else to have to make some kind of choice. Is he or is he not? And if we can just keep the Christians quiet and stop talking about him, then we don't have to face the choice that every human being needs to make. It requires you to decide whether the insight of a blind man is true. 
But for whatever reason, they wanted him to be quiet. They wanted him to see a pao. And I love the word. It means to involuntarily stop talking. In the English, it would be actually better translated to shut up. For it's a word that means to involuntarily shut your mouth. Don't speak. You want to speak, but we don't want you to. But Bartimaeus did not shut up. He was not quiet. He said what he saw in this wonderful spiritual place. Now, it's interesting that Jesus tells his disciples to not shut up the man as the world wanted to do, but to call him. And so Jesus sends his disciples to call Bartimaeus, to bring him to him. And that's the third ingredient of our relationship with God. When the world wants to silence us, it's our responsibility to encourage one another to cheer up, to come to God, to let God be with us in our hour of need or our hour of celebration. For that's how we live life in the relationship with the Messiah, to get on our feet. When invited, I love the fact that Bartimaeus threw away everything, jumped on his feet, and came to Jesus. Now think about that and think about the people in your own lives. I know there are people all around each of us who are calling out to God. In whatever state they find themselves and whatever need they might have, they want to come to Jesus. But it's interesting that he didn't just get up on his own. Jesus sent his disciples to invite him and to tell him that you're welcome in the presence of God. In the Old Testament, if you were infirm, if you were blind, if you were not in good state, you were not welcome in the temple. You're welcome in the presence of Jesus, the disciples are saying. You're welcome to come just as you are, for Jesus will do a work within you, transform you, so Jesus sends them to invite him to him. And so the question, of course, that causes me to stop and think is, are we inviting those who are crying out to God? Whether it's our neighbor or our co-worker, or our friend, our family member, are we inviting them to Jesus? And that takes us back, of course, to where we began, where Bartimaeus came to Jesus and when he came, he was willing to follow him. The question that that raises then for us is when we come in our state, whatever blindness or difficulty we bring to God, are we willing to follow him? For that, if there's anything that defines what is common in all relationship, it's the question of, do we want to follow God or do we want God to follow us? Do we want to be in relationship with God or do we want him to be an asset or something that we use in our lives like the Israelites using the ark to try to beat the Philistines? I can remember uh, where I was sitting many years ago uh, when someone in our congregation taught me something that has been so valuable to my life. I was, of course, in a Thai restaurant. You can understand that. And we were, of course, talking about the Christian life. 
That's my life. And this person repeated a verse I had heard all my life, but had completely misunderstood it. In fact, I had reversed it in my understanding. She was quoting David in Psalm 37, 4, where he says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then she said, He will give you his desires. Now, I had always heard that in a me-centered kind of verse. That if I love God, delight in him, then he'll give me what I want, what I desire. I had always read it in terms of it's all about me. And God is here to get me what I want. But that's not at all what David is saying, is it? The relationship with God is not about me getting what I want and using God to get what I want. The Christian life is so delighting in who God is and so desiring what God wants that I begin to desire God's desires. He gives me the desires of God deep within my heart. My heart begins to beat in harmony with God. My heart begins to beat in unison with the heart of God. I'm willing to follow him then wherever he leads me because I desire where he wants to go and I follow him in my life. Now, I don't know what unique relationship you have with God. That's the most beautiful thing about the Christian life is that each of us have a personal, unique relationship with the Messiah, with this wonderful God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he works within each of our lives. So that relationship is yours. It's very uh, unique to you. But I do know that if that relationship is all about you rather than about God, that you're going to come to a moment of crisis. I've seen it over and over. You're going to come to a moment of crisis if this journey is all about you where you're going to turn around and see if Jesus is following you and you're going to find that he is not. Not because he doesn't love you, not because he's not calling out to you, not because he isn't sending people to you to bring him to himself, but because you made a turn somewhere that Jesus wasn't willing to make and you thought he was following you when in fact he wants us to follow him. And if we follow him, then each day, whatever storm might come, he's the protective cleft in the rock. He's the protective Messiah of truth. He's the savior of our sins and the temptations that overwhelm. He's the one who gives us his desires and we become like him. This morning I invite you to ask Jesus to open your eyes whatever ways uh, that blindness has, has kept you back. Invite Jesus to open your eyes and follow him. Choose to make your life all about him. This journey may be hard. There may be lots of difficulties, but there are also great joys and great fulfillments. And you are not alone in this journey. We're with you. And we're all with God as we follow him. Let's spend time with him.